2: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Big earnings beats from Microsoft and Alphabet, our investment committee debating the best mega cap tech stock to own right now. We're going to set you up for Apple and Amazon tomorrow as well. Joining me for the hour today, Jenny Harrington, Jason Snipe, Steve Weiss, Joe Terranova. Let's get a check on the markets today. We're still on S&P 4600 watch. We got some work to do uh, today. It's peeling back just a little bit. What was a gain on the Dow is now a loss of about 130 points, just shy of that. NASDAQ's the winner today. No big surprise, given what Microsoft and Alphabet delivered. Microsoft, a new all-time high today. Joe Terranova, I start with you. Uh, It's a big position for you. I don't know. I run out of superlatives when trying to describe what Microsoft continues to do. What about you?
3: Yeah, I, I do as well. And I think, you know, you have to understand something with Microsoft, with Alphabet, and a lot of these mega cap technology stocks. Where we are at this point in the calendar, if you are not long these names, you're actually short. Uh, managing a portfolio, especially if your strategy is not market cap weighted and inclusive of these names, you really have a performance challenge as we move forward. But specifically towards Microsoft, uh, I've held this position now for the better part of the last couple of years. We know the management team is phenomenal. The growth of the the cloud uh, has been nothing short of staggering. And I think a lot of the regulatory concerns that have surrounded big technology, Microsoft really does not seem to have uh, similar concerns that maybe some of the others have. So it's a source of capital inflows for a variety of reasons. Think about Chinese regulatory pressure. What does that mean? That means capital inflows into U.S.-based technology companies like Microsoft. It's utilized as a bond proxy. And the last point on it is I don't see Microsoft and a lot of these other names as facing the inflationary pressures that the perception of what technology could be in an in, in, uh, an inflationary environment could be. Because they are an asset-like business. They are not long-duration, and they are something that belongs in everyone's portfolio, not just for today, but the next coming years. Yeah,
2: you've been talking about it for a long time. I mean, I remember having that funny conversation with you. I mean, it's got to be at least three years ago <laughs> at this point about the pronunciation of Azure, um, the, the cloud business, and I know you remember that, too. Uh, but Jason Snipe, it's a big position for you as well revenues grew 22 percent. That's the fastest since 2018. Here's what Jim Cramer said to uh, his investing club uh, audience. Quote, we think that Microsoft remains one of the strongest secular growth companies on the planet. And as a result, expect to see analysts take up numbers and for the stock to continue. It's slow and steady grind higher as the economy comes back online and companies increase investments in digital infrastructure. I said it's a big position for you, too.
1: Yeah, Scott, absolutely. So, I mean, you mentioned at the top, you know, Microsoft revenue growth is 22 percent, you know, growth year over year. Uh, Azure business is up 50 percent year over year. I mean, the numbers were explosive, you know, as they as they've been over the last couple of quarters. And I think Joe makes a great point. I mean, tech is just, you know, when I think about pricing power, I mean, tech is just inherently deflationary. So when I think about the inflationary issues that we're seeing, supply chain issues, uh, you know, big mega cap tech is virtually immune to these pieces. So, yeah, we like the name. It's been another good print, you know, and I think one of many in quarters to come.
2: Jenny, and then there's Jenny, because Jenny doesn't own Microsoft, and she prefers Facebook on a valuation basis. Now, okay, I'll give you the fact that, you know, Facebook's cheaper than Microsoft right now, but is that the only thing that you look at when deciding between these two businesses?
4: No, not at all. In fact, you know the story is much bigger than that. So the reason we own Facebook, which is the only fang that we own, is because it had, of those five, right, of those five fangs, it had, when we started investing there, it had the largest, most sustainable earnings growth, coupled with a really strong story that would suggest that that earnings growth would sustain, and the right valuation for us. So you know I always say this, it's got to be the valuation working in concert with the story, but because we always have an eye on free cash flow, that's one of our hurdles. And one of the things that I was just thinking about, and I was looking to the left to try to figure out exactly what Facebook is up year-to-date, but I didn't get it. Not as much as
2: Microsoft. I'll, I'll save you from huh. trying to figure that out.
4: No, it's not. It's, it's, not- it's about 16%. Yeah, it's, not, sure. it's not even close because um, no.
2: Microsoft's up 43% but, year-to-date, just so we, um, okay.
4: we got all the numbers the in front of us. Here's the thing. I want to caution people against FOMO, right? You do not need to own Microsoft to do really, really well. And if you look at our discipline growth portfolio, for example, United Rentals is up 54% year-to-date. We've got all sorts of things. We've got American Express up almost 50% year-to-date. There are some really great returns out there. You don't have to own Microsoft to do well. You don't have to own Fangs. You don't have to own all five of them. In fact, I think we need to move well, away this. from saying you need to own FANGs. And we need to start. Po- yep.
2: OK, let me ask you this. Um, mm-hmm. And forgive me for interrupting you. But when you said you don't have to own Microsoft and you mentioned these other names, um, it made me think of something. You say United Rentals or American Express mm-hmm. or whatever. You bank on the performance of those companies over the next five years guaranteed? Because I think investors would say I can bank on Microsoft over the next five years, almost guaranteed not as cyclically natured as some of those other businesses that you mentioned. That's what brings people into the big mega cap growth tech names. It's almost guaranteed growth.
4: I think that's a tricky statement to make. Look at Amazon this year. Amazon's done very little on the year. Look at Apple. Apple's up, what, about 12% year to date? That's not great compared to a stock market that's up 22%. So I don't think that you should bank on that. Maybe you have been in the past, and maybe you could say that over the next 10 years. But frankly, Amex and United Rentals are companies that we've owned for a long time. and Over the long term, they've delivered really strong returns, too. So you're bringing up a good point. You know, and if you just want to put money under your mattress, I'd go with you that Microsoft is a great place to be. But will they outperform over the next year? I'm not sure. Um, I just think there's a lot out there. And I think that we get pretty myopic because the Microsofts and the Apples and the Amazons and Facebooks like those are fun to talk about. But there are other ways to make money out there. too, And it's important to remember that given given I think that we're going to be in a dicey year next year. No
2: question about that. Um, No Mm -hmm. question about that. Um, Maybe I overstate it a a little bit. Um, But, you know, the point, Steve, I'm trying to make Um, you figure, Mm -hmm. you know, these are the companies. The numbers are astounding. Right. The way that, you know, David Faber was talking about it earlier this morning on on Squawk on the Street. The amazement in the size of these businesses now, the ability to grow revenues and the magnitude that they that they do. And you think they will continue to do. Where else do you find that? Jenny's point is is well taken. And she's a, you know, a different kind of investor than a lot than a lot of people. And she's not afraid to not own the sexiest names in the market. I, I totally get that. And I respect that. But. Where else do you find this sort of growth?
5: You know, well, the answer is I could find the growth elsewhere, to Jenny's point, but here's how I look at Microsoft. To this degree?
2: And I think this is going to answer to,
5: your to question. To this degree?
2: Uh, well, companies that are growing their businesses uh, and their revenues to this magnitude?
5: No, not on that kind of revenue base and not with an embedded growth in their business already. So here's how I look at it. And, uh, don't jump down my throat with the first words i'm going to say i look at these as slightly better than cash substitutes not because of the performance because cash is depleting asset but because i really don't have to pay attention to them in my portfolio i can spend my time doing other things anybody who can tell well, exactly. you that microsoft and, and that's well, that's your you point could, I exactly you. anybody that's tell right. you that microsoft that microsoft or amazon or any of the fangs are analyzable is kidding themselves and kidding their investors. These are stocks that you own. They're forever stocks. At some point, they won't be able to grow 50% on top of that revenue base. But people have been calling mm-hmm. the end of that for years already. And guess what? They've been wrong. So they're the easiest stocks to own for so many reasons. And fortunately, I don't have a, you know, hundreds of thousands of investors saying, hey, why do you own United Rentals, which I don't? Nobody will question owning Microsoft, even if it underperforms. But guess what? These companies, the bigger they get, they're better their businesses and the more business that comes to them. They're almost definitions of monopolies, which is why the government has some issues with them, although not with Microsoft. So, yeah, so I love them. I'll do well with them. If there's a year of underperformance, like with Amazon, who cares? They'll catch up. They innovate. And that's the most important thing and what people ignore is that they have subscription models amazon has it microsoft has it google's got it and that's what markets like and that's what gets a higher valuation so yeah so i'm there i'm happy with them facebook is one that i'm looking for the exit door because they've got their own set of issues frankly and i don't think it's as a forever stock as these so i'd rather pay a higher multiple to have more secure
2: earnings and revenue profile than I have with Facebook. And not like a crazy multiple, right? We're not, we're not talking about stratospheric multiples no. by, by any stretch. Pete Najarian joins us now. Uh, he nope. is, of course, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Pete, I wanted you on today uh, because you've been yep. the most vocal supporter of Satya Nadella and this stock for as long as I can remember. It's one of the largest positions along with Apple. Your reaction to what the company delivered today and your position in the stock as it stands right now?
6: Yeah, so uh, the, my reaction would be extraordinary once again. And these guys all hit it, so I don't need to kill, keep hitting the same numbers. But when you look at Azure up, basically call it 50%, I think it was 48%. And then you start to look over at some of the other categories like LinkedIn, which was a huge acquisition not that terribly long ago. But now that's a big part of what they are doing. And their growth is 40-plus percent there as well. And then you look at some of the, the, the security solutions area. That's a growth of about 50%. So there's, there's growth in So many different areas, and that's why I think February 2014, Satya Nadella was named the CEO. Stock was underneath 40 at the time. It was a buy then. It's still a buy now because even looking forward from here, when you look at what we're talking about valuation-wise, we're looking at a 30-plus, call it P.E. right now. But look at the growth. We look at growth in other areas, and, and they don't even have anything close to this kind of a P.E. I think this is a company that continues to reimagine themselves into the future, and they continue to go into other areas. And that's they were talking about subscription models. That's another one. And I can tell you this. The options in, in there today are absolutely on fire, Scott. Matter of fact, it's one of the top traders of the day. 700,000 contracts have already traded today. That's multiples of what they normally would trade they've already gone twenty six million stock shares have traded today which is well above a a full day already so it gives you an idea of the appetite that people have right now for this name it it actually got all the way up and almost to three twenty five earlier before a little bit of a pullback so everything that i heard on that call everything satya has been doing i think as a ceo for this length of time has been absolutely done to perfection and i think that continues
2: now If I asked you this next question 10 years ago, you'd have thrown a pie in my face or or something comparable. (laughs) Is Microsoft right now the best mega cap Mm -hmm. tech stock to own? Pete Najarian.
6: Uh, Right now, I would say absolutely yes. And I don't even have to question that. I I look around at all the different levers that they can pull, and I, I look at it and I say, Absolutely. This is a multi-trillion dollar company that has growth areas that are close to or around 50%. That's unheard of. And then you start to look, is that P.E., it's probably actually a very appetizing. I mean, I, I look at it in the low 30s. I think this this stock can stand up against anybody you want to compare it to, Scott.
2: Yeah, I mean, we can take a look. Pete, thank you for coming on uh, real quick. I'm going to let you bounce because I want to yeah. talk about um, a, a couple of other things like Alphabet, which is up 62%. Year-to-date, oh, by the way, um, Alphabet and Microsoft are two, the two best-performing mega-cap tech stocks. Price target today on Alphabet, and there's the stock highs of the day, almost 6%. Gainer took a little while to start ramping up, but there you go with almost 6%. Target to 3,300, Barclays. Target to 35, Oppenheimer, 34, Raymond James, 3,090 at KeyBank, and 3,660. That looks like a street high to me at uh, Montes Crespi and heart. We got a lot of ownership on the desk. Jenny, you don't own it. Joe, again, it's a top five position for you.
3: Without question. And there was a dramatic reversal in the capital allocation strategy for this company over the last three years. They recognized how the strategy of continually buying back their shares was benefiting companies like Apple. There was a clear focus on generating that cash flow and returning it to the shareholder. We talked about this just three weeks ago. Well, guess what, in Q3, they bought back well over $12 billion worth of stock. This is a company, yes, I understand, there was a little bit of frustration surrounding uh, YouTube and the cloud business. Those numbers did not meet estimates. But that's OK. That's a moment in time. Overall, the business is positioned in the right direction. And I would urge investors to really focus on the capital allocation story because there is a much longer runway to come with that. That's going to take this stock towards those uh, price targets that you're mentioning. Yeah, I mean, it's hilarious. What we talk about put
2: that wall graphic, guys, back up, please, because when you talk about the YouTube, OK, you say that's a disappointment. Nearly seven and a half billion dollars of ad revenue for a a piece of their business gives you an idea what point I think I'm trying to make. Jenny, when I talk to you about the level of growth that these companies continue to deliver on, and it's just so hard to find it anywhere else, not to say that there aren't other stocks that you can own and have sizable appreciations in their stock price. You said United Rentals. The stock is a double over the last 12 months. Your point's well taken, but these numbers are crazy.
4: I think here's where I get a little bit cautious. Steve said before they're innovative. He's 100% right. But here's a truism. Innovation is always competed away. And we need to be really careful about keeping an eye out for that. So, for example, about this time last year, we were all talking about Zoom and how amazing Zoom was and how great that was, right? But then you see, Microsoft competing with Teams, Google competing with Meats. There's so much competition. Some of these big guys are even starting to compete with each other. So I think we need to be really careful, presuming that they continue to grow at the same rates in the future that they've grown at in the past. They are mega, you know, mega great companies. I don't argue with the quality of any of them. I just think, you know, for the way I manage money, I can find, I can find equally good returns in other places. Maybe I don't hold them for 10 years. Right. Some I will, some I won't. Um, But we need to remember that the innovation is competed away. That's real.
2: I hear you. And you know what? When I when I asked Pete whether Microsoft is the best mega cap tech stock to own right now, I I wonder if, you know, Josh Brown's going to take issue with that. He joins us on the phone right now, given what he said yesterday going into the alphabet print. Maybe you think it's alphabet, which is the best, Josh. And maybe they give you no reason to think otherwise, considering what they delivered.
0: Hey guys, so I've been listening to the whole conversation, and I agree with everything everyone said except for Jenny. And I don't think that you have to choose Google and or Microsoft. I don't think most people are. Uh, they're both. They they compete and overlap in some areas without a doubt. I've chosen uh, Google, and Pete's chosen Microsoft, and we both made a lot of money as a result. Uh, but they aren't big enough to the point where they have to murder each other. And I think the idea that Steve was talking about. He didn't use the word, but I think what he was trying to say was that these are platform companies. And the annually recurring revenue is a really important part of that story. And just the way that Google is so embedded in our daily lives, not just personally, but from a business standpoint, my whole company runs on G Suite. If this were a prior era, maybe we'd be Microsoft Office, but whatever. Both do the same. Both get the same thing accomplished for us. And we cannot live without them. And there are so many ways in which we can get into uh, Gmail and we can get into the Google Cloud, which was up 45% this quarter, by the way, not too shabby. And then you look at all the consumer-facing stuff, search. I mean, Jenny talks about uh, te- uh, these edges being competed away. Let me know, because search is essentially a monopoly, and it's been dominant for 20 years now. I don't know that anyone's coming anytime soon to even attempt. So sometimes companies get so big that there is no way to compete. Apple's a really great example of that too. So is Amazon. There are other companies in the space and they'll carve out niches for themselves. But the idea that some of these edges can be competed away, I think has been uh, repeatedly uh, beaten up in this era. Like year after year, not only are these companies not facing any real competition, but they're actually getting bigger and you don't even understand where the growth is coming from it just keeps coming not to mention so, not to mention with, with not to
2: mention Josh I mean you you can you can you use growth at a reasonable price for a stock like this it's at 30 times we're not talking about some stratospheric valuation for a name that's growing no, to the okay. magnitude no. that they are as well it's it's going it's knocking on the door no. of 2 trillion in market cap by the way it may get it by the end of the day for all we know at 30 times earnings
0: so 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 two more things Joe Terranova talked about the capital allocation. I think that's a really important part of the story, underappreciated. They're somewhat behind where Apple was when they got really serious, but they are serious. The hiring of Ruth Parat from uh, Morgan Stanley a few years back was a very important milestone in this company's history. And I think what she's been able to do is take some of the criticisms that Wall Street has historically had about some of the big bets Google is making and and the lack of ROI on some of the quote other bets cetera she's been able to compartmentalize that stuff into its own bucket that nobody really worries about here's what's cool though you're not being penalized the shareholders are not penalizing the company for the fact that there's not a lot of revenue coming out of other bets But someday I believe that there will be and I don't know where it'll come from it could be Waymo if Waymo were a standalone company Understand that Uber right now has a $90 billion market cap, okay? Uh, that's, that's the auto, automated driving. If quantum computing becomes uh, the next big thing from, from other bets and starts generating revenue, talk to 99% of investors and understand they don't even know what quantum computing is, let alone why it might be important. It could be paradigm shifting in the way that the iPhone was in 2007, Nobody's assigning any value to the valuation of Google for that at all. So there are a lot of levers still to be pulled on the capital allocation side. They are not doing buybacks to the extent that they could. They're generating so much cash they don't even know what to do with it. There are huge opportunities there. The other bet segment, which you're getting no benefit from as a shareholder, that literally could change the world depending on what comes out. There's a lot still to love here. And you're not paying 50 times earnings. You're paying like 24 times or uh, 25 times earnings net of cash. So the innovation here is obvious. The growth is obvious. No, it's not going to go on forever, but there's no reason to think it has to stop anytime soon.
2: Well, yeah, the growth rate may not go on forever, but I think the point that we were trying to make in the conversation earlier with Jenny is that, you know, you're still getting unbelievable growth e- even if you don't get it to the degree that you have now. Josh, I appreciate it. I know you've got to bounce, but I, I appreciate you calling in. That's Josh Brown. Steve Weiss, wrap this up and then I'm moving on. Uh, Alphabet, because you own it as well. Okay.
5: I own it. I own Microsoft. And to me, frankly, if I had to pick one, gun to head, I would pick Google. Thankfully, I don't have to. The reason being is a lot of what Josh, Josh cited is that while there is some cyclicality to Microsoft's business in term, and new product requirements, turning upgrades to, to Windows, Google really doesn't have any of that. So there's nobody that's going to compete with them in search. Microsoft's tried it failed at it. So it would be Google.
2: Yeah. Uh, Highs of the day. Uh, Again, we're pushing the door on uh, two trillion dollars in market cap. It's an all time high for shares of Alphabet. That high today, 29.82. So it's just a little bit shy of where it hit earlier in the session. We'll keep our eye on that. If it does hit that milestone, we'll be sure to let you know. And it may happen at some point during this day. All right. Let's talk about Boeing and General Motors, because those companies had earnings as well. We're going to get Apple and Amazon tomorrow. So we'll wait till tomorrow to walk you right up to that and find out what the committee exactly thinks about those companies going into the print. I want to talk about Boeing. I want to bring in Jim Labenthal, too, our so-called Mr. All-In, the farmer. All right. Uh, they missed on the top and the bottom line. I wanted you to come in, not just because Steve Weiss is on and he 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 hates Boeing, as you know. Um, but what's your read? What's your read on this year to date? The stock's down two and a half percent, three months down, six percent, one month down, seven percent. And somehow you're going to come on and tell me everything's just great.
7: Well, I'm not going to tell you everything's great. I mean, there's there's a serious management credibility problem here. Um, And and you can see it when the call starts and what he's talking about is vaccine mandates and somebody new who joined the company. That's not what He is he is Dave Calhoun, right?
2: He is Dave Calhoun, the CEO, right?
7: Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Um, the serious credibility issue here What the comp- what the investing community wants to hear about is when is the seven eighty seven going to start getting delivered again. Um, th- there's no update on that. And it's been several months. And that's a serious credibility issue. Uh, he says that the seven thirty seven max is going to be approved in China by the end of the year. That's a milestone that's two months away. Okay, I'm going to give him those two months because that's worth waiting for. If it comes through, this stock will take off. They're going to start if that comes through, they're going to start delivering 737 maxes uh, in the first quarter. But, you know, absent that, I'm not going to tell you everything's rosy. If you're going to ask me why to stay in the stock, there's one very good reason. That's
2: my next question.
7: Yeah. And there's one very good reason. The airline industry is back in growth mode. Plane orders are being placed, including at Boeing. And if you want to grow your airline, as many airlines across the world do, you have to go to Boeing. Airbus is all booked up for the next seven years. It's just the power of a duopoly. And I really I don't want to hear Steve come on and talk about the duopoly between McDonald's and Burger King. That's stupid and silly. Okay. well, I'll let him speak for himself.
5: Well, it has not been stupid and silly because we've seen more orders go away from Boeing and go to Airbus, and Airbus can build additional capacity. That's not factually false, Jim. We've seen it with some airlines that didn't want to rely they both have positive outflow because it is a duopoly. So, look, I've told you repeatedly, and I've tried to help you, and you just don't want that type of aid to help you make money. But David Calhoun is the worst person to run this company. He presided as chairman of the board over all the safety issues, all the problems the company's having. But the issue is Boeing can't get a new CEO because they've got to continue to deal with the FAA and foreign regulators. So they're stuck with terrible management. So the stock will go up in spite of itself over time. But it'll really go higher, I believe, if they get new management in there. So, look, to hold on for the China order, that's great. It may not happen. You point out that management is a credibility issue, so you're willing to bet on what he said. I saw the interview with Phil LeBeau. Great interview, bringing him here, but it was great because it confirmed everything that I've thought about Calhoun and the stock. So I would go make money elsewhere if I were you. It's taking up space in your portfolio that at this point has to be aggravating you. And I hate to see such a good friend aggravated day to
2: day. J- Jim, I'll give you a Am chance. Right, so, uh, Jim, you can respond to that, but it is striking to me that you suggest that they have a management credibility issue, but then you, you know, turn right around in the same, the second half of the sentence and say, but.
7: Yeah, but I explained it and I'll explain it again. It's a duopoly. Airlines are growing their fleets again and they have to go to Boeing. There's just nowhere else to go. You can't go to Airbus and get planes. You can't go to COMAC. That's not even certified, even if you trusted their certification process. You have to go to Boeing. It's a captive market. That's the reason to own it. And you know what Steve actually said, you know, stocks going to go up and it will go up more when the CEO changes, which the CEO will change. I think the FAA actually wants that. But probably the next catalyst is when Boeing sells some planes to FedEx to get their operations back on order, back on track. And, you know, maybe FedEx will be used to deliver some Moderna vaccines.
2: Steve, the the craziest thing is, I mean, um, you could insert somebody else talking about Facebook instead of Jim defending Boeing in all respects. It's a duopoly in terms of the the ad market. It's got a lot of fleas on the story. Maybe some would say there are management credibility issues there, too. But for all intents and purposes, it's been a Teflon stock. Yes, it's you know, Facebook, I think, is like 15 percent or so off of its highs. And we know where Boeing is, is off of its highs. But at the end of the day, Jim lays out the fundamentals for Boeing in the same way that a bull on Facebook would lay him out there and say, that's why I want to own the stock.
5: Except there's one difference here. Uh, Boeing is still making their way out of the deep, deep hole they dug themselves in from the issues with the Max. And we don't know what the concessions are that the company is going to be giving the airline companies on a continual basis. We don't know the deal. So they may sell a lot of airplanes. But my bet is that they sell them for a lot lower margins, if any margins, on what they have to give to the company as recompense in addition to the money they paid them on the on the issues they've had.
2: All right. Let's do this. Let's take a quick break, okay? We'll come right back. I want to talk to you about uh, General Motors, Jim. I know Steve wants to weigh in, and I don't want to miss that. So we'll be right back.
3: Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL
8: freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more.
2: All right. We still have um, Jim Labenthal with us. Let's kick around General Motors, because I'm got i going to put you on the defensive again, I, I, I suppose. GM's down 5%. What gives? Are you going to tell me, OK, I know the chip shortage and everything's going to get figured out. And once that does, the stock's going to go up. <laughs> I mean, did, is that Scott. the story?
7: Scott, Scott, Scott. I can hear Your it in my ears. Is it
2: my head or my head? Your
7: perspective, I, I, you, you and I love to tease each other, and I get it, but the perspective is the stock is up 30% on the year and it's going to go higher from here. What happened today, and I listened to the call and you could see the stock moving around. Anytime they talked about the positive top line, which is that volumes are increasing in production, the stock went up. Why did the stock then go down and continue to go down? It's because of the semiconductor shortage and it's because of raw material cost inputs. When you put those two together they're very clear that their margins are going higher this is a clear case where you've got to look through the near-term issues with raw material prices and shortages and realize that the demand is not just there why why isn't the market look you say that all the time but why isn't the market
2: looking through it if it's so obvious stocks down five percent
7: I say it all the time and I'm right the stock is up 30 percent on the year. It's a bad day. I'm not going to get all twisted around on it stocks going to go higher from here. They're going to print money in the fourth quarter of this year and next year when their margins go up and their volumes go up. I, I mean it's a bad day if you if you want to roast me on it. That's fine. No, I I don't feels wanna, like I don't, don't want to
2: roast you on it. I just want an honest answer. I mean it's down it's a negative over answer. the last three months. And everybody knows that the chip shortage exists. And if it was that obvious, the stock wouldn't be down 5%. But you said it started moving lower on those,
7: those comments. Scott, we know that the market sometimes gets it wrong. If the market didn't get, us, get it wrong, none of us would be on the show. All the stocks would be at fair value. The market is getting it wrong today. And if, you, if anybody wants to sell into this news, you're doing the wrong thing. And for those of you who don't own it, this is your opportunity to buy it. This is the market getting it wrong.
2: Jimmy, I'm going to make that the last word. Mm-hmm. Thank you, brother. All right. I'll see you soon. That's Jim Labenthal. All right. Shares of Royal Dutch Shell. I think Jimmy used to own that, too. Spiking on a new activist move from Daniel Loeb. Leslie Pickers following the money for us, as always. Another interesting letter from Mr. Loeb.
9: Very interesting. Uh, So basically what's going on here is third point. This is according to uh, a letter that we obtained that they sent out to shareholders. Uh, They they're pushing and kind of pressuring uh, Shell to do something here while stopping short of any kind of proxy fight. They're not looking for an overhaul of the board. They're not looking for any kind of management Refreshment or anything to that matter. Yes. Uh, th- yes. Exactly. <laughs> at this stage, Let's and it put seems that like it's still there. very early days for this position. They say that they built up a stake in the second and third quarters. I'm told by a source close to the situation that the stake size is anywhere from 500 million to a billion dollars. Uh, and so far, that's pretty much they've they've taken their position. They're not looking uh, to to add it unless it's opportunistic at this point in time. But. Basically what they're saying here, and I'm going to quote directly from the letter, uh, they say that Shell has too many competing stakeholders pushing it in too many different directions, resulting in an incoherent, conflicting set of strategies attempting to appease multiple interests but satisfying none. Basically, what they're saying, and and this is also uh, based on a a person familiar with the matter, is this is a company that could be better off, given those competing constituencies, separating into four separate businesses um, or up to four separate businesses in order to appease them. Because they say that in order uh, to... Appease all of these various constituencies, Shell has ended up with quote unhappy shareholders who would who have been starved of returns in an unhappy society that wants to see Shell do more to decarbonize. They note that it's one of the large, the cheapest large caps in the world, trading at four times 2022 EBITDA. So the idea here is that you've got the ESG investors on one hand who want them to decarbonize faster. They've got the regulators that want them to decarbonize faster. But then you have another shareholder base who still wants access to inexpensive oil and gas Mm -hmm. um, and the ability to allow that to, to continue prospering in the meantime as they make that transition. So they're saying do this as separate businesses, not under one roof.
2: I know you were focused on the, the Shell new position that he, he documents in the letter, and I'm looking at the letter as well, and I, I don't want to throw you off by throwing another thing at you, but what do you make of this, this comment early in the letter where he says we've increased the number of single-name shorts in our portfolio mm-hmm. and expect to take advantage of dislocations in quality and compounder equities. It's just an interesting position that uh, Dan Loeb has taken.
9: It is, especially when you think about all all of the long short equity managers who've really uh, kind of avoided shorts in the last few years after the years prior to that feeling a lot of pain from their short positions. And that's still been the case. But you do hear this increasing drumbeat from hedge fund managers these days who are feeling a bit more comfortable getting into short positions because uh, there's more disparity among stocks than they've seen in recent years. And of course, a lot of people will point to this idea of a kind of a rising interest rate environment, one in which inflation right. pressures create winners and losers as being an ideal time to get more into uh, their short
2: book. It's also, it's, you know, it's one thing to increase your short positions. It's another to tell everybody what they are. Yeah, exactly. And, and he's not, and nor are many other managers as well because of, you know, for GameStop. obvious reasons, GameStop and, and the fallout related to that. Leslie, thanks. Thank All you. right. That's Leslie Picker. Now to Kayla Tausche in Washington. She has a news alert for us. Hi, Kayla.
10: Hey, Scott. I've learned through sources familiar with the matter that a controversial proposal for banks to report to the IRS cash flow information for accounts with under $10,000 has officially been removed from the $1.5 trillion social spending package. Now, the removal comes after comments yesterday from West Virginia moderate Democrat Joe Manchin, where he suggested that Uncle Sam should not be in bank accounts, and suggested that the president, Joe Biden, shared his view on that matter. The White House has had previously defended that proposal as a way to essentially uh, monitor the bank accounts of the wealthy and crack down on potential tax evasion. And negotiators had estimated that that proposal could raise about $100 billion uh, toward paying for the overall cost of this package. Unclear what, if anything, will be uh, put in the place of that proposal to raise that figure of money, uh, but certainly comes after the financial industry has been really, really fighting against this, uh, despite the White House saying that it's needed. Uh, but officially, Scott, according to three sources familiar with the matter, this controversial bank reporting proposal is out of this package. All right. Scott?
2: All right, Kayla, thank you. That's Kayla Towshey in Washington. AMD is hitting all-time highs on the back of its earnings, plus the investment committee making moves as usual. We'll tell you what they are next.
4: What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
11: Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Tyler Matheson, and here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Holiday spending may hit a new record this year. The National Retail Federation expects American consumers will shell out as much as $859 billion. The industry group expects retailers will hire between 500 and 665,000 seasonal workers to handle the added demand. In London, the U.S. launching a new effort to make WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange face American justice. Dozens of Assange supporters gathering outside the courtroom where British judges are hearing the U.S. request. The U.S. government is seeking to overturn a lower court's refusal to allow Assange to be extradited. And streets are nearly empty in the capital of Sudan today. Many banks and businesses closed for a third day in a row. Residents have erected barricades in opposition to the military coup earlier this week, and overnight, security forces detained three prominent pro-democracy activists. Halftime, we'll be right back after this. Well, let's talk about some moves. Jenny, New York
2: Community Bank. You are buying it on the dip. Is that right?
4: That's right. So they reported earnings this morning and they had two little speed bumps. They have a loan that's um, not current. It should be current by year end. That was a big deal on the call. And they also have their merger with Flagstar Bank being pushed off a little bit longer than expected. So these were hurdles. It took a little while for people to get over them. We listened to the call. We were comfortable. It hasn't changed our investment thesis. So we added to it just for accounts that were new that hadn't owned it yet. So feeling pretty good about that. Would have liked rosier, rosier commentary. But, you know, I like the I like the opportunity to get in again.
2: Yeah, um, 12 months, stock's up 55%. Three months, it's up Thank 17 <laughs> So here's a hiccup uh, today, obviously, of uh, a decline of about 8%. I'm going to come back to you in a second because we have some chips business to discuss with you. Joe, mm-hmm. AMD, all-time high today following the earnings. I know it's a big position for you, and I guess it keeps showing why it um, continues to eat Intel's lunch. <laughs>
3: All right, well, I'm not going to take that bait, uh, but what I will say, bait. and what's important for the viewers to understand, is it's it's very it's very easy. I bought this stock in May at below $80. I have a 60% gain in this stock. Very easy to come on the show and say, okay, I'm going to ring the register. But this is exactly why you stay in the stock, because the fundamental positive momentum for this company continues to build. It's a beaten race. The gross margin expansion is real. It's up at 48% now. That gross margin expansion is going to continue through 2022, well above 50%. And now when I said take the bait, I'm going to go back to your point. The server CPU market share that AMD is slowly acquiring is staggering. They're now at 13.7%. Where they were just a couple of years ago was well below 4%. This is six per, uh, six consecutive quarters of growth. And collectively, these are all the reasons why you stay with a stock like this, even being at an all-time high, and you can expect that it will exceed that and push towards 150.
2: Most The most important thing you said to me was six consecutive quarters of growth, if, in fact, I heard you and wrote that down correctly. Um, Market shift.
3: Market market share server CPU growth. They are taking market share right. from a, someone, Scott. I don't know who that is. I don't know but either. I'm going to leave it up to Jenny you to knows. figure it out.
2: Jenny knows. I'm going to go to Jenny. I'm going to go to Jenny for the answer. <laughs> Jenny.
4: So, you know, so I love this is like the beat the crap out of Jenny Day. I'm no. having a great time. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, anyway. That's not the anyway I, I should have gotten, gotten the a attention. second on Jenny. I did not report. No, 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 no. I, know, I, know, I did I know. not report
2: uh, <laughs> AMD's earnings. AMD reported their earnings. I okay. can't change the story. Okay, so it is what it is.
4: Here's the thing. Okay, fair enough. Absolutely true. But Intel earned $22 billion last year. Guess what? That's three times more than NVIDIA earned and seven times more than AMD. So now we can go on both sides of the fence. And I can go back to exactly what I was right about that Josh tried to argue about, which is that innovation is competed away. Intel was the market leader for a long time. That con- that, in- that innovation... That is being eroded away by competition. That being said, they still have a lot of really great stuff going for them, which is $22 billion in earnings. And by the way, did you know that their their revenues have grown by um, 7% over the past five years? Their earnings have grown by 18%. No one's paying attention to this because it's overshadowed. And I do want to take a step back because I've been early, which we all know also means wrong on Intel, But the long-term thesis is still intact, and we did a deep dive, you know, revisit of this last week, particularly after earnings, to say, is our thesis still intact? Do we still believe this? And we do. And the reason is, is because since Pat Gelsinger took over, there have been no production issues. The product rollouts are on track. They have new products coming out. We think that they might get back to about $6, $6 $6.50 a share in earnings by 2024. If they do that, and you put a 15 times multiple on it, which is a fraction of their competitors who are taking market share. But Intel's still growing in spite of that. You get to a 90 plus dollar stock in a couple of years, and I don't think that's being too crazy. Couple so years, so I'm okay. sticking with it for the long run. For, yeah, but I'm sticking with it for the long run. In the same way that Joe is on AMD, but just with a totally different metric behind it. Right, well, By so the way, it's one position. You know, I, it's one position that we've held for a year and a half. It's I, I, not the whole portfolio. I totally port, get yeah. it.
2: I, t- I totally get it. We'll check back with you in five years. We'll see where it is. Uh, All right. Up next, two stocks you need to watch headed into their (laughs) earnings after the bell. Jason Snipe owns both of them. We're back right after this. All right. Let's look ahead to two other names reporting their results after the bell today. ServiceNow and Twilio. Jason Snipe, you own both of those. Which one are you most excited for?
1: Yeah, so I'm going to take ServiceNow here. You know, ServiceNow is a great COVID winner. Just the ability to track uh, workflows, you know, in a hybrid environment. Obviously, COVID has accelerated their growth. They're up about 21% year to date. Uh, it is an expensive stock, right? But I, but I, I love the fundamental story and I think there's continued growth from here. Twilio is a little bit of a different story. I mean, they've had really strong revenue growth, only up about 2% year to date. Uh, but the streets just hasn't given credit this year for the revenue growth. But another expensive stock, both of them exist in our high beta portfolios. And I think. Part of it for Twilio has been the macro story with rates race uh, starting to move early February and on going throughout the year. But I like them both, and, and we continue to hold them.
3: Hey, Joe, didn't you own Twilio at one point? Oh, I sure, I sure did. I got into Twilio back in 2018 at a really appealing level. Uh, Jason is, is spot on with his assessment of Twilio. It's been in a downtrend since February at 457. I'll tell you what, though. If they're able to deliver a strong quarter here— And kind of reignite some of the positive sentiment i would actually go with that i'd consider myself purchasing and i think the viewers should as well i think that reversal of sentiment will result in higher pricing over the coming quarters okay you let us know if they've got to show you they've got yeah they got to show you a good quarter tonight they've got to have a really strong quarter
2: yeah all right you give us a heads up if you do anything there we'll step away for two minutes we'll come back with final trades next
5: are you a veteran Do you have a question for the Halftime Investment Committee? Email us a video with your name and rank, askhalftime at cnbc.com. You can be featured on our special show on Veterans Day. Thank you for your service.
2: All right, let's do final trades now. Jenny Harrington, please, you go first.
4: Okay. Okay. Lumen. So lumen's another one where last week we did a really deep dive and reassessed our initial our investment thesis. And we actually agree with what we initially thought, which is that the fiber assets are hugely valuable and underappreciated. Management is at an inflection point where they're really trying to unlock those. We think that it's probably trading at about fifty percent of what its private market value equivalent would be. Okay.
2: Keep our
1: eye on that stuff. Yield.
2: All right, thank you. Jason Snipe.
1: Nike, I really like their product pipeline, e-commerce, and DTC business continues to improve. Just do it, stay long.
2: Yeah, do you think this stock has something uh, finally in it because it's been kind of a disappointment?
1: It has. I think. I think there's continue, I think there's some value there. So let's see how it re- moves into the fourth quarter. All right, Steve Weiss.
5: Volkswagen, they report in the morning before we get in, and they had cautioned that the second half is when they'll feel the semi-shortage. They didn't feel it in the first half. I think there's a chance, a very small chance, they announced they're going to spin off Porsche. There have been articles in paper about that in Europe. That would be monstrous. So I don't know that I'd buy it in front of the earnings, but I definitely would buy it tomorrow
3: either way. Joe? St. Louis-based, $12 billion company, Bungie. Renewable diesel, vegetable oil. Strong demand for both.
2: Thanks, guys. Good to see everybody. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.
4: People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation.